come to it like this. Uh, a few months ago, we were doing our, our series, Your Life, Church Life, and we were looking at what God wants for us as a church, how God wants his people uh, to live. And we saw right then at the beginning of the foundation of a church is the fact that the church is built on the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is owned by Christ. It's God's church. And because it is God's church, the church should be ruled, the church should be governed, God's people should be walking in the way that God wants them to, because it's his and not ours. And so we had the break, we went to finish our series in the Gospel of John, which we did, and last week we started again thinking about your life, church life, and thinking particularly on this subject of money. So we're not going through a book of the Bible consecutively for a few weeks, we're just taking the theme of money and uh, building on that. Uh, last week I, I told you an introduction that there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible on the subject of money. And so it's an important subject, and God has said uh, a lot about it. In fact, again, as I said last week, about 15% of the recorded words of Christ when he was here on this earth were related to money and possessions. So there's lots of teaching in God's word, and there's lots of teaching directly from Jesus about money. And, and, and last week we started and we established three biblical principles, three principles from the Bible that we can build our foundation about money, about money in our church life, about money in our own personal lives as well. And so last week from God's word, we saw that God owns everything. Everything is God's. Not only is everything God's, but because it's God, he has the right to do with it as he wishes. He's the creator. He is the owner. He is the sustainer. He breathes life into us. He owns everything. But part of his will, part of his plan was for us as individuals on this world, in our lives, to have private ownership of property. We saw that from the commandment, you shall not steal. God is wanting to protect an individual's property. We can't just go and take what's not ours. We own it. Now, the fact is we don't own it per se. We've been given it by God. And we can almost see that our money, our assets, our possessions are something that are on loan to us for our lifetime. So God owns everything. He's institutes, he's the author of private ownership of property, and then he makes us stewards of the money that he gives us. So we can put it like this, money is not mine or yours. Money is God's. And because money is God's, because God owns everything, this should lead us to worship God. This should lead us to, to realize that he is the great I am. He is the creator. He is the owner. And God, as the creator and the owner, he blesses us with what we have now. And we were just challenged last week, weren't we, not to think of what we don't have, what we might want, but to, to really thank God for what we have. We are clothed. We, we're able to get here. We, we, we've fed ourselves. 
We can thank God for, for the little that we've got. No matter how little that is, it has been given. And we should be thankful to God for it. And, and the wealth, the assets, the money that you have, be that great or small, uh, as best has been lent to you. You've been lent it for your lifetime from God. Now, as you know, those of you that, that worship here regularly with us, you'll know that my wife and I, we're from England. And we, we go back to England for, from time to time. And when we go back to England, we leave our house and we leave our car and we leave our things here. And then we go to the UK and, and very kind friends that they might let us use their home. They might let us use their, their, their car. They might let us use some of their property. And we're very grateful. We're very thankful that they let us use their property. That they lend it to us for a moment. Now, now we are very careful how we use what's been lent to us. Yeah? We, we don't want to give our friends' property back to them damaged. And so you can probably imagine our embarrassment when one car we were borrowing, handbrake failed. Well, that's the story I'm going to tell you now. The handbrake didn't work. Maybe the handbrake wasn't put on. And it rolled into the other car that had been lent to us. And so we had the embarrassment of, 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 of telling the owners of their cars that they were damaged while we were looking after them. And you can, you can understand our embarrassment, can't you? And I'm very thankful for the, how gracious and loving our friends were about this matter. And they just saw it as a car and they had it insured and, and it wasn't a problem. But we felt upset. And maybe you've lent something to somebody. And, and when they've returned you, they've returned it and the next time you get it out, it doesn't work. It's broken. It, it's or you lend someone a car, when you get it back, it's got no fuel and the tires are flat and there's a, a dent in the side and, and it upsets you, doesn't it? And so we have this idea in our mind's eye that, that God has lent us stuff and it's his stuff. And if we lend something to somebody, we're upset about or we're careful about how they use it. And so we need to think very carefully about our stewardship of God's money. And so I want you to ask yourselves a question this morning. How do you steward? How do you look after the money? How do you look after the things that God has given to you? I don't know if you've been asked that question before. You may have been asked, how do you invest your money? You may have been asked, of what plans have you got for your money? You may have been asked how much money you've got, depending on the culture that you're in. But the question, and the thing that we really should be asking as God's people, as, as a church here of children of God, is how do I steward? How do I look after the money that God has lent to me? It's all his. And so this is, this is vitally important because of these first three principles. 
These principles say that God owns everything. God is the author of private ownership. He's, he's lent us his money. He has made us his stewards. And so because of these first three principles, and that's why I was wanting us to, to get that foundation last week, it then means that we have to ask that question, how do we go on from here? If it's God's, if, if he's given us this privilege of private ownership, if he's given us this responsibility of being stewards of this money, how do we think about it? What is our attitude to it? And so those three principles that we were looking at last week, that they should drive us to have a right attitude to money and wealth, because everything is God's, and we are stewards of it. And so I think it's helpful for us to do an attitude to money test. Yeah, you might not have thought about your attitude to money. You might not have thought about it in that way before. And, and so I want, I want us to, to, to take it in our minds together this morning in the sight of God an attitude to money test. Now, as I was preparing, I, I thought, are there any online helps here? Have we got anything we can do to help us to our attitude to money. And there is a website called Nerd Wallet. And a Nerd Wallet has got a survey that you tap in your answers to some questions and it tells you what your attitude to money is. And so there's a series of questions and you have to rate them from I strongly agree all the way through to I strongly disagree. So just think about these in your mind's eye and think where you would be from strongly disagree to disagree with all the different things in the way. Things would get better if I had more money. I do not deserve lots of money when others have less than me. How about that? Do you agree or disagree with that? I do not deserve lots of money when others have less than me. You should not tell others how much money you have. Most people do not deserve, um, sorry, most poor people do not deserve to have money. More money will make you happier. Rich people are greedy. Do you agree or disagree? Strongly agree, strongly disagree. Where are you on that one? It's wrong to ask others how much money they have or make. And lastly, think carefully. You can have love or money, but not both. And if you answer these questions on that website, it churns them all up in its little brain or its great big computer in the cloud, and it comes out with four categories. And it tells you whether you are someone who is a money worshipper, a money avoider, if you have money vigilance, or money status. The, the money worshipper can never have enough money. The money avoidance, it, it means that they think that money is bad and they don't deserve it. Uh, and there are people like that. Yeah, there are. You, you might be thinking, what's that? It, it does happen. Money 
vigilance, being frugal, saving, thinking about tomorrow, or money status, thinking that money, more money achieves higher status. And you, you can do this test and you can get an attitude uh, uh, test to, to what your thoughts on money. But this doesn't help us. It really doesn't help us because this is not biblical and it doesn't help us to come to the right attitude to money that God, the owner of money, wants. God wants his children. God wants you and I to have a right attitude to money. And that's why there's so much teaching in God's word on money. Because God wants us, God needs us, God demands of us to have a right attitude to money. And you see, friends, our attitude to money will come from our attitude to God. Our attitude to money will come from our attitude to God. In fact, our attitude to everything in life comes from our attitude to God. And your current attitude to money will be due to your current relationship with God. And so people that have a positive relationship with God, this this will lead them to be responsible in their stewardship of money. It will be those that use money wisely. They will be earning their money in a righteous and a a God-honoring way. There'll be those that are generous. And so a relationship with God will lead to responsible stewardship, wise use of money, righteous earning of money, generosity, and just general, good, positive, godly attitude to money. Uh, A negative or or a relationship that's not close with God will lead to irresponsibility with money. It, It will lead to reckless spending. You may have heard someone say that there's more month than money. You experience that? The, the ATM insults you at the end of the month because it won't give you what you want. And maybe that's because you've been over generous to yourself in the beginning of the week. You've been reckless in your spending. And, and reckless spending leads to irresponsible debt. So you get to that stage and you want something and you haven't saved for it and so you just borrow, borrow, borrow. And, or it may be that you've got this bad attitude so that you are stingy with your money. You're, you're miserly. You've got plenty of it, but it doesn't ever come out. Or as we say in England, you've got moths in your wallet. And when you open your wallet, the moths fly out. That's because you never get your wallet out because you're always that people are greedy. And, and a negative relationship to God means that there will be unrighteous earning of money. There will be gambling. There will be Yahoo. There will be all those things that are, that are negative. And so a positive relationship with God will lead to a positive attitude, a righteous attitude to money. 
a, a negative and a, a wanting relationship to God will lead to a negative, unrighteous attitude to money. Now, that doesn't mean that all people that Christians can't handle money correctly or righteously. God's common grace allows lots of people to use it wisely, but it's about your attitude. It's, it's bigger than this. And this is what I want us to go on to see. We will only have a healthy attitude to money if we have a healthy relationship with God. And so I've got three different questions for us this morning to, to major on under this first heading. We've got an attitude to money test, but we're bringing our attitude to money test from the Bible. And we're going to use the Bible to, to help us. And the first question I want us to ask is, what does your heart long for? What does your heart long for? We started the service this morning at, I think, six and a half minutes past ten. We're getting better. We're nearly on ten o'clock. That's what we aim for. That's why we encourage you to be on time. And when we started the service, we started with the reading of Psalm 42. And then we went on to sing a a, a version of that Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water. And then there's Psalm 42. It's the first in in the uh, second book of the Psalms. There's five books in the Psalms, and it's the second one of the the, the compilation of Psalms that are put together. It was written by the sons of Korah. The longing of the writer. It's picture language. The deer is there. It's been running through the forest. And it's, it's thirsty. And its soul pants for water. And it wants it. And, and the writer is saying, as the deer pants for water, as it needs to drink, so pants my soul for you, O God. A lot of you sang that hymn, that song this morning. And and, and as you sang it, were were you really thinking about it? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. As you came here this morning, as you are sat here now this morning, where is your heart's desire? Is your heart's desire like the writer of this psalm who's calling out and saying, my my soul, it pants for God. My soul, it longs for God. My heart wants God. Is that where you are? Because our attitude to money, the first question is, what does your heart long for? We know from God's word that our hearts can be deceptively wicked and they lie to ourselves. So let's let's not justify our own thoughts and actions at the moment. Let's do something different. If, If I asked your best friend... And I, and I had some truth serum so that they would be honest. They can't lie. And then I said to your best friend, what is their heart? What does their soul long for? 
Would they say, oh, that they're longing after God, they're longing after worshipping him, or would they, would they drop you in it? Would they, would they be saying, no, that there's something else, that there's something else in their mind? Or what if we looked at your internet search history? What would your internet search history, what would your internet history tell us about what your heart's desire is? Is it a search history that, that shows a heart that wants to worship God, a heart that is after God and his kingdom? Or, or does it show a heart that's distracted by stuff? What if we analyzed your expenditure? Everything that you'd spent last week, this last month, this last year, what would that show us? about where your heart and your heart's desire was. A few weeks back, Pastor Andrew had his uh, annual heart checkup. And, and part of that means he gets fitted this device that he wears for the day and, and, and the night as well. And, and this, this device is recording all his heart's activity. And then he goes back to the doctor, and the doctor plugs it into his machine, and the doctor can see and analyze and look at all that's gone on mechanically in Pastor Andrew's heart for that day. Imagine if there was one for the mind. A little USB port in the back of your head. The plug goes in. And it comes in and it gets plugged into the screen and we watch where our mind was for the last 24 hours, the last week. And if we analyze that, what would it tell us about what we long for? Would it come up with analyzing and go, cha-ching? This guy's heart desires God. 100% looking to God. 100% motivated for God. Or, or would it come up with a different scoring? A lot of single people, their minds are taken up on who they may or may not get married to in the future. Does he or she like me? The crush is on their mind. For some people, as you're far away from home, your family is on your mind, your education is on your mind, your home is on your mind, your career, your, your business, your sport, sex, money, fame, power, influence. These things can get in the way. We need to be honest about this. Because we need to think about our attitude to God and our, what does our heart long for? What does our heart long for? And the second question is this. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? We read from Matthew in chapter 6. 
And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. In verse 19 of of chapter 6, Jesus speaks to them and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why not? Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But, this is what Jesus says, he says, If you are one of his children, you should be laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. Why? Because neither moth nor rust destroys. And thieves don't break in and steal. And then Jesus looked his disciples in the eye. You can imagine this. And he said to them, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, if you're struggling to know your attitude to money, then ask yourself the question, Where and what is your treasure? Jesus said to his disciples, lay up treasure in heaven. Eternity. God's kingdom. Being where Christ is, where God is for all eternity. That's where our heart should be. But where is it? What is your treasure? What is your motivation in the morning when you get up? What is your short-term, your medium-term, your long-term plans? What is the treasure? What is the motivating part of your life? We have a saying in England, home is where the heart is. And a huge problem in the church today as we live like this life and this world is what it is all about. And friends, the tragedy is this life and this world do nothing but disappoint. And the only thing that can give us real hope is an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about our attitude to money, We need to ask ourselves these questions because it hones our minds and makes us think and makes us realize what is important because our attitude to money is born out of our attitude to God. What does your heart long for? Where is your treasure? Jesus goes on in that teaching in in Matthew chapter 6 and he continues and in verse 24 he says to his disciples and he says to us now, he says, no one can serve two masters. They will either hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Not long after I returned from Cyprus to England, the first time as a young man, I, I worked on a farm, farm with two brothers. And so effectively I had two bosses. And, and one of the brothers gave me work that I liked doing around the farm. He was the one that was in control of the tractors and the animals and the interesting things that I wanted to do. And the other one was more interested in me painting his house 
and me cutting the lawn and me washing his car and me doing things as a 17-year-old that I didn't want to do. So can you guess which of the bosses I preferred? Well, it's easy, isn't it? I, I, I preferred the one who gave me the work that I liked. So in the morning, what would I do? I'd avoid the one and try and find the other. Because no man can serve two masters. And so our third question with our attitude to money is, do I serve God or money? What drives me? What drives you? What is it that, that motivates you? What is it that gets you going? Is it God or is it money? You see, friends, if you serve God, money will serve you. But if you serve money, you've got no chance with God. Because no one can serve God and money. And so these are the questions that we really have to seriously consider. This is the foundation which takes us on. And, and not for a moment am I saying that money is bad. And not for a moment am I saying that you shouldn't earn it. But you have to earn it and you have to have it from the right perspective. And the right perspective comes from a right attitude. What does your heart long for? Where is your treasure? And do you serve God or money? So secondly, we, we see here, and I want us to see here, that we need a right attitude to God. A right attitude to God is essential for us to get a right attitude to money. And I want us to, to be here looking at that passage we read in Matthew 19. So you might want to follow along there. We've just finished Matthew 6. We're going to go to uh, Matthew 19, the passage that we just had read for us. And, and I'm sure you know that story well. This rich young man comes to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and he is wanting eternal life. He knows that Jesus has something special. He knows that Jesus is special. He knows that Jesus can give eternal life. And he has this knowledge. And he also understands how the world works. Because in the world situation, this is how it works. You, you earn something, don't you? If, if, you, if you work for somebody, they will pay you something. If you pay for something, you will get something. And so he went to Jesus with that mindset. And, and he says, what can I do to earn? What can I do to gain eternal life? And he wants to make himself right with God. And, and Jesus plays along with this in his mind to, to make a really strong point for us this morning and a strong point to him back then. And he plays along with it. And then he says, look, and he gives him a list of commandments. And, and then the young man says, I've done it. I mean, I'm quite surprised that Jesus didn't sort of turn to him and say, have you really done it? 
Let, let's, but he gave them the benefit of the doubt, didn't he? He said, okay, you, you, you've kept these things that you've, that you've been asked about. You, you, you haven't murdered, you haven't committed adultery, you haven't stolen, you haven't borne false witness, you, ha- you have honoured your father and your mother, you have neighbour, and he says, I've, I've kept these things. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he whooped with delight and said, yes, I'm going to do this because I want eternal life. Is that what he said? No, he didn't, did he? When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, I don't want us to miss something here. The big issue isn't the fact he had great possessions. And and there's some people in heaven who had great possessions in this earth. We can think of Solomon who had masses of wealth. And so it's not the, the, the great possessions that's a problem. Let's go back to verse 21 and see here and read here what's going on. It says, if you would be perfect. Friends, the only way you can inherit, you can have eternal life is if you are perfect. Yeah? Perhaps you're thinking, Pastor James has lost the plot because he's told us we can't earn salvation. He keeps telling us we can't earn it and now he's told us we can earn it if we're perfect. Let's follow this logically through. Stand up, anyone here who is perfect. This is it. None of us are perfect. No one is perfect. And so for this particular young man, where things were going wrong in his life was the great possession. But the thing that I want us to sort of emphasize and think on here is the fact that God needs perfection. If you want eternal life, you need to be perfect. And this young man, when he saw that, the cost of being perfect to him was too much. He didn't want to lose his possessions. And the young man's heart was longing for money more than eternal life. What did he really want? He really wanted money, didn't he? He didn't really want eternal life. If he really wanted eternal life, he would have whooped and said, yes, I'll get rid of it. I want eternal But he didn't. He didn't want to be and he couldn't be perfect. And Jesus is explaining this to his disciples. And he explains it like this. He says, truly I say to you, in verse 23, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This is a dramatic illustration, isn't it? 
And, and those of you that worship with us regularly, you go back to the time we were in uh, 1 Timothy and we were going through this and I showed the pictures for the kids in the children's talk and, and we were just thinking of how ridiculous that is. How can a camel go through an eye of a needle? What is that all about? It's to underline the impossible nature of salvation because this is what the disciples heard. And this is how they responded in verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? It's a fair question, isn't it? It's impossible to put a camel through an eye of a needle, even if it's the big gates that people talk about. It doesn't really matter. It's just an impossibility to get them through them. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Friends, you cannot make yourself perfect. But what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do was to make you perfect. And what Jesus did on the cross was he took all your imperfections, all your sin, all your unrighteousness, all your failings, past, present, and future. And he took them upon himself. And as he took them upon himself, he didn't just take them upon himself, but he took the punishment that they deserve on the cross, on that time, the eternal one. Jesus, God's only son, who'd been sent to this world because God loves his people so much. He died on the cross. He paid the price of the sins of his people. And so he did what was impossible for man and made it possible. And the things that stop us from being made right with God, Jesus dealt with. And our imperfection has been taken away. And those of us that are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our mess. He sees Christ's righteousness. And friends, when we get to heaven, all that mess will be gone. And we will be able to stand before God, righteous in our own right, because of what Christ has done for us. And you see, just as we can't make ourselves right with God, we can't give ourselves the right attitude to money. But God can give us a right heart with him through Christ. And that right heart with him through Christ will lead us to a right attitude to money. And so, friends, it's not about of questions and saying, am I having a right attitude to God. We need to think of it like this. Is my heart right with God? And having a heart right with God starts with us realizing that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to be washed clean. And we need to be brought into his kingdom. And the only way that you or I can have a right attitude to money is if we've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Blood has been shed on the cross. If the punishment for our sins. And maybe you're asking yourself, how do I get that for myself? How can I be born again? 
How can I be made right with God? I've messed up so much. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. That's not the point. The point is to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. The point is to come to him broken and say, I am a mess. Forgive me. I am a mess, but would you please see Christ as my Savior? Would you see him as the Lamb that's taken my sins? And when we do that, and I thank God that many of you here have done that, and you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is the start of a right attitude to money. And we'll never have a right attitude to money or a right attitude to this life or a right attitude to anything unless we are right with God. But in this story, in this this time, in this interaction, we see very clearly that money will not make you right with God. And if you're thinking the notion in your mind, and if you've heard the teaching that if you amass money, it is God's blessing, and it shows that you're right with God, it is wrong. Money will not make you right with God. You can't buy yourself right with God. And in fact, the love of money can keep you from God. This man, he had an attitude and he wanted eternal life. But his money kept him from God because a right attitude to money is impossible without God. And God only can do the impossible and give us a right attitude to himself with a right relationship to God through Christ. The broken is fixed through Christ's work on the cross. And when we have a right heart with God, brought into his kingdom, then we can have a right attitude to money. And and thirdly, and and, and lastly, that is the heading. A right attitude to money. And I have three little subheadings in this. And we're going to look at them quickly before We finish. So what is the right attitude to money? Money in itself isn't bad. That's not what the Bible teaches. And the Bible does not teach that all believers are wealthy in the world's eyes. And there's no guarantee in God's word for personal prosperity. But then the Bible doesn't teach that we have to make ourselves poor to be godly. What the Bible clearly does teach and where our emphasis is going to be for the rest of our time now is in 1 Timothy and chapter 6. 1 Timothy and chapter 6, please turn with me there just to follow along. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and we'll be looking at verses 6 through to 10 here predominantly. You see something that's modeled here. Whether we have lots or whether we have little, what we should have. What we need is contentment. You see, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. And so as we look at a right attitude to money, great gain is not about money. 
The, the world sees great things in assets and great things money and, and that's what great gain is all about uh, we, we have a magazine and a website and a whole industry called Forbes and some of you may have heard of this and, and if you go to Near East you will definitely heard of this because the owner of, of Near East is a Forbes billionaire and you can get this magazine from Forbes and you can read about what billionaires are doing. And, and the world is telling us that this is all about it. Great gain is to get your name in Forbes magazine. Great gain is to have amassed great wealth. And, and, and the cars that go up and around here are screaming out, this is what the world is telling you. you, you, you to show you've made it, you need this. And if you've got a big Mercedes, you need a bigger Mercedes. And if you've got a bigger Mercedes, then do it properly and get a Range Rover. And if you've got a Range Rover, do it even better and make sure that it's painted gold or bright pink or future. And say, look at me, I have made it. And what we're hearing here in God's word is that is not where it is. The gain in the world's eyes is just in stuff that is temporal. Things that will not last. My brother owned a Range Rover for a short period of time. He brought it to Cyprus. He went round a corner too fast. And the Range Rover went in Hamitku in pieces in the scrapyard. God has given us what we need. And if you are motivated and want to make more or not content with what you've got, this is discontentment. But when we are content with what we've got, there is great gain. You see, the godliness that is talked about here is a contentment because it is eternal. The, the stuff of this world doesn't bring contentment because it's just for the moment. But the godliness that God gives, the great gain that he gives in godliness, being right with himself through Jesus, is true contentment. Because we have a reason for today and a hope for tomorrow. And yes, someone with lots of money may have a reason for today to make more money. But what is their hope for tomorrow? Their hope for tomorrow is their money might buy them a couple more years of life. Or the Botox might make them a couple of years younger. But it's not going to buy them more life. It's not going to buy them eternity. The only way we can be content is in godliness that comes through Christ. You see, great gain is not about money. It's about godliness. And money is for life and not eternity. This is so important for us. Money is for life and not eternity. Verse 7, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. This is amazingly humbling, isn't it? Have you ever seen a squawking baby come out of the womb with an iPhone? Or a bank account? Or a set of keys? No, they come out and they're a squawking mess and they bring joy to their parents, but they come empty. We were over at the tombs of the kings near Salamis. And there's these big tombs. 
And they caused great excitement because as they opened up these tombs centuries later to find out what's going on, they found this one tomb and outside it they parked the horses and the chariot that the owner of the tomb owned. And jars of gold. And the rotting remains of the owner have gone. And bits of the chariot are still there. And the gold is in a museum. And you cannot take it with you. Money can be helpful in this life, for sure. Money enables you to make transactions. Money can be a blessing, but it is only for this life. Last year, in 2021, 27 billionaires passed away. And they left 169.5 billion dollars. They left it. They couldn't take it with them. Because money is for life and not eternity. As Jim Elliot, the pioneer missionary, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's what we're trading in, friends. That's what it's about. You see, I said earlier, the huge problem in the 21st century church is we're living like the world and we're living for this moment and we think this world is what it's all about. You see, this stuff fails. Six months ago, people were getting super excited about crypto. I'm not going to ask any of you if you invested then. I can tell by your countenance if you have. Half of it's vanished. And if you think it's got to go up by 50% to get back to where you are, you've got it all wrong. It needs to go up by 110% to get back to where you were. Vanished. And it's not just crypto that drops like a stone, is it? In, in a moment, you could be unemployed and your income stream stops. In a moment, you could have health issues and it all dries up. There could be family problems. There could be all manner of situations. This world doesn't satisfy. This world is sin-filled and it's a mess. And you see, so often we are thinking just about this moment when as Christians we could be, should be thinking about eternity. Yes, we need money to live, but we must not live for money. Because money is not eternal. And money will never save you. And we need to lose the grip on stuff like Jim Elliot said. And we need to realize that that is not where contentment or satisfaction are found. If you hang on to the stuff you cannot keep, you're a fool. If you let go and come to Christ and live for him, you gain what you cannot lose. But there's a real warning here. 
And, and there's this warning that a love of money can keep us from God. Money's not bad, but a love of money can keep us from God. Verse 9 of this chapter one, this chapter uh, 6 of Timothy, 1 Timothy puts it like this in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And through its craving... Some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is a really serious warning. And a very practical application of this serious warning can be found one mile in that direction in the prison in Cyprus. And there are many Africans that are there because they wanted to make money. And their wanting to make money has led them to ruin and destruction in this life. And the Bible warns about that. But the warning is much deeper than that. Because although hardship can come out of the love of money, and so often the love of money means that we make wrong financial decisions, and apparently people with with financial challenges are 20 more times more likely to commit suicide than anyone else because ruin has come upon them. Matthew 16 and verse 25 tells us of the ultimate ruin with the love of money. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? The love of money can keep us from God. I think that verse should be up on the screen. And I want us just to leave it there for a moment. And I want you to be prayerful in your hearts now. And if you are not right with God, I want you to be asking yourself, looking at yourself and saying, is what I'm gaining now worth my eternal life. And if you know eternal life in Christ, thank him for it and ask him to help you to have that right attitude.